Welcome back to Property Unlocked. I'm Scarlett Douglas. And I'm Stuart Douglas. Whether you're a first time buyer, renovating your home or just curious about the property scene, we've got your back. Yes, now we are here to give you the information you need to make informed decisions and take your property game to the next level. Today, we're diving headfirst into the world of property management. We know how important it is for landlords to have a smooth letting process and to be sure that their investments are in the best possible hands. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to our special guest, my good friend, Dave Ramadin. Now, Dave isn't just a good friend, he's also a partner with Hunters, our esteemed sponsor for the show. And an exceptional, Dave, you're an exceptional yes, property I expert. Yes, I echo that, yeah? Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Dave has a profound grasp on the industry and he's all set to share a treasure trove of property insights for all of us to learn from. Now, I've worked with you for a long time, Dave, as business partners, as friends, you've taught me a lot and I'm so excited to have you on this show to incite your professionalism, your knowledge, your skill set to all the listeners. Wow. No pressure. Wow. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Property Unlocked, Dave. So, Thank you very how, much. How do you feel, Dave? <laughs> Are you nervous? A little bit under pressure, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you two have known each other for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. But, Dave, I've only ever really known you as, like, the property guru that Stuart talks about pretty much every day. I'm like, okay, chill out, calm down. So it's nice to have you here, but I would love to know where it all started for you, your property journey. Probably going back two decades now. So the early 2000s, I had a career in hairdressing to begin with. And I've always had... Wop, wop, stop, stop there. Luscious locks, stop by the way. If anyone can see this, and I hope you're watching this <laughs> podcast, my friend Dave, I call him Pocahontas. <laughs> because, Pocahontas? Yeah, po okay. po po Pocahontas. Okay. Yeah. Because his hair, it's so nice. It is, it is. So when he just said he used to be a hairdresser, you can see why. Yeah. He's still right. got that flair. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Thank you very much. There you go. So a career in hairdressing, long story short, I started to get some back problems from standing up all day. Always had a passion for property. My family were involved in property to some extent. So I left the hairdressing industry, did a few other things, trained as a personal trainer, did some graphic design. But then I decided, actually, I'm going to follow through and I'm going to find myself a position somewhere in the industry to gain some knowledge so I could become the guru in the property world. Mm -hmm in my own circles. So what I did is I just offered my services free of charge. I found a position within an estate agency. And I just worked my way up the rungs from a junior negotiator all the way through to management, was looking after a couple offices. And then I decided that it was time to step out on my own. I had a business partner at the time that was involved in the financial side, so doing mortgages, etc. And we opened a business and we opened up an online agency, which we worked on for a few years. I found that actually that was a bit too mechanical for me. I stepped away from being in front of clients. So the transition from hairdressing to estate agent sounds really strange, right? Mm. But actually, they're very transferable skills. All you're doing is you're talking to people all day long and you're relating to them. Mm. So I enjoyed taking the client-facing environment to the next level in the estate agency. And with an online business, you don't have that same interaction with clients. My option was then to leave the online industry and then go back to the high street, which is where I then, about a decade ago, joined the Hunters Network, and here I am today. And what made you join Hunters? Because I know that you're very thorough in what you do, mm -hmm. and any decision-making, it's meticulous, it's well thought of. So why did you choose Hunters? Yeah, good question. So I met with a lot of the large operators in the UK, and actually Hunters stood out for one particular reason. They were originally a family business, mm. 
So their business ethics weren't like your typical corporate businesses. It was all about customer service. And even to today, their customer service standards are far and above the industry standards. When you speak to all of the different office owners across the country, they've all got a passion. So I think that's been consistent throughout their 30-year history is the passion to service their clients and deliver really great customer service. Right. And I guess you have to have a passion to be in this industry for, what, 20 years, you said, right? But what is it about property that you love so much that just keeps you going back every day? So estate agency is not really the property per se, it's the client journey. Okay. I've always been really excited by a client approaching me and saying, this is what I want to achieve. This is where I am now. This is what I want to achieve. And being an integral part of that journey for the client has always given me great reward. I've got so many examples of, you know, someone that's maybe wanting to upsize from a one-bedroom flat to a family home, starting a family in a particular location. Well, I've been a real important source of information for a lot of those people on that journey. And I think a lot of people misunderstand estate agents. Mm. There are many agents out there like me that enjoy the client journey. That's what keeps me going back. Why do you think that estate agents are tarnished with the same brush? Mm. A lot of the time... Yeah, great a, question. Yeah, they don't have a good reputation, really. No. Nah. No, not at all. And maybe that's because you don't need any formal qualifications as it stands today to enter the industry. Anyone could apply to become an estate agent. That is slowly changing. Anyone can enter our industry. You don't need any formal qualifications. And because of that, you get all types of people wanting to become estate agents. That is slowly changing. And there are, there are MBQs, there are other qualifications that are out there that estate agents can now do to get professional recognition. And the industry is going in the direction of requiring that before you can actually trade as an estate agent. As it stands currently, we're a real mix. Yeah. Something that I've tried to get my head around over time, I don't think I've ever actually asked you this. So if I'm going to sell my house with you, I am the client, right? But unlike football, where the football agent looks after that player, yeah. you, as the estate agent, you're looking after the client, which is the person who's selling your house, but also you have to look after this buyer. So it's almost like it's a conflict of interest that's a necessity of the job. Yeah. I think that's sometimes the reason why, because people feel that estate agents sometimes play buyer off of seller. So what do you do to make sure that doesn't happen? To be clear on that, our client is always either the seller or the landlord. Right, The okay. buyer or the tenant is not our client. So we have a duty of care, yeah. but our service must be delivered to the seller or the landlord. So what that means is we always have to look after their best interest, i.e. we're always seeking the best price from the best quality candidate. But we must take a balanced view. Yeah. Because if you treat buyers and tenants in the wrong way, you're not going to close a deal. Yeah. So trying to think of an example that might help you here so if a buyer has a bad survey as an example which commonly happens then you need to go through that survey and talk to the buyer about all the points that have been raised and maybe try and help them with some education yeah because a lot of the time i mean surveyors they write things in the language that's very threatening yeah and a lot of the time if you haven't got experience in the industry you might be scared away by that so in terms of balance talking through what damp might mean or, you know, what an electrical fault might mean or getting them to speak to qualified contractors that can give them advice. That's, in my view, is taking a balanced view. Yeah. That's helping the buyer, giving them education, helping them overcome an obstacle. We're kind of working for the buyer in that instance, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. Rather than the seller. Yeah. But we're holding the deal together for the benefit of everyone. Yeah. So not only do you have to be accredited, you need to obviously be very good with the buyer, the seller, 
the landlord, the tenants. You also need to know your areas very well. And you just need to be a people person all round. Absolutely. These are things I think people don't really think of when they say or see or speak to estate agents. There's so much more than just, I'm going to show you a house that's on the market. Yeah, very true. And actually, I think a lot of people just think about the process of getting an offer. Mm. There is so much more involved in getting a sale through than just getting an offer. Getting an offer is the easy part. Yeah. Navigating the legal system, talking to solicitors, mortgage lenders, surveyors, that's the tricky stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot more to it. You need a lot more experience and education to be a really good estate agent. So what sort of questions do you frequently receive from buyers and sellers? Because there must be questions that you think, oh, this one again, the same question again, and you've had to answer it over and over and over. How about now, set the record straight mm -hmm. and tell the listeners the answers to those frequently asked questions? The main one that's jumped into my mind straight away is, and this is for people that are inexperienced. Yeah. They always ask what the difference is between exchange and completion. Oh. So they often think that you exchange contracts, you don't own the property anymore, you hand the keys over, but actually that's formally incorrect. Yeah. Exchange of contracts is the point that you get to where it becomes legally binding for the seller to sell and the buyer to buy. Mm. You then normally have a gap between exchange and completion, and completion is where the keys get handed to the buyer yeah. because the buyer solicitor has transferred the funds for the purchase to the seller solicitor. Yeah. That's completion. So as simple as it is, that is actually a really common question. Okay. Mm. People don't understand the difference between the two. Yeah. That just goes to show you how much of a lack of knowledge there is yeah. out there in the public sector. And then once, I have to reiterate this, once you exchange, if the deal falls through, yeah. somebody's losing money. 100%. Yeah. But what is that percentage? Because abroad, obviously doing a place in the sun a lot, that percentage is about 50% that oh, wow. they have huge. to then pay back okay, so to the, the, the person that's potentially buying that's or a big, to the person that's, that's a big selling. sum. That's yeah. a huge commitment. And actually, I quite like the sound of that because it's a commitment, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But in this country, it's about 10%. It right. can be negotiated, but standard 10%. Right, okay. I think another question from me that I know when I first started is, why does it take so long to actually complete on a property? It can take months. Yeah, it really can. And I think solicitors, most of them do a fantastic job, but a lot of them are very, very slow. Mm. I'm sorry to say it, but what they actually do could probably be done within a matter of a few days, but they do it over a much longer period of time. And this is just questions going backwards and forwards between one solicitor and another. And until they're satisfied, they're not going to tick that box. Yeah. And you could get some very frustrating situations where you're going back on the same question again and again and providing the same answer in a different way until mm. it's acceptable. Do you often get asked questions regarding... Freehold, share of freehold, leasehold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And lying freehold, yeah. all those sorts of yeah. freeholds. And do you want to explain your best, like, I suppose, watered down version of each? Yeah. So to keep it really simple, so freehold, just imagine you've got a house, a terraced house, and the garden, front and back garden. Let's call that your freehold property. Leasehold, you only know what part of the building you own when you've got a lease. So let's say that you own a flat within a building, but there's no lease on it. Well, how do you know what part of the building belongs to your flat? Right. The only way you'll know that is when the lease is created and the lease plan is drawn up, showing you part of the building you own. So freehold is the whole building and the land that it sits on. Leasehold is the section of the building that your property sits within. Mm. That is also a very, very common misconception. Right, okay. Share of freehold is another interesting one because a lot of people think if there's three flats in the building, well, I own 33% of the freehold. 
actually normal process is that you are a joint freeholder. So one freehold title and you all jointly own it. Right, okay, yeah. So you don't yeah. just own the roof and the first floor. You collectively own the freehold together. Right, yeah. And then there's service charge to pay, ground rent to pay. Yeah, quite commonly. If you owned a block of flats where, say, you, all three of us owned three flats within a building and we were paying ground rent, that would probably wouldn't make any sense if we all owned the share of freehold because we're paying ourselves the ground rent. Yeah. But if a third party owned the freehold and we were leaseholders, we would have to pay them a ground rent. We're obliged to do that, as well as service charges because they look after the communal parts of the building. And these are all fees that don't have to be paid if you are a tenant, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, as a leaseholder, as an owner, you are obliged to pay those. As a tenant, no, you're not. So would you say then that if we move over to landlords, they would potentially put that into their rental prices so it covers them and covers their back? I think the way a lot of landlords do that is they just uplift their rent. Right. They charge a higher rent in order to cover their costs. Mm. And we've seen that of recent with escalating interest rates, the cost of money has increased. A lot of landlords have increased their rents to cover their additional costs. Yeah. And when it comes to leasehold properties, what number of years will mortgage companies start to get a bit twitchy and not want to lend on? Another common misconception. So a lot of the time when surveyors come in to value properties for people that are buying through us, they commonly ask what is the length of the lease and their minimum criteria most of the time is 75 years. Right. However, the sentiment from the buyers is that if it's not 100 years on the lease, I'm a bit worried about that mm. because at some point there's going to be a cost involved for extending it. I don't really want to get involved in that. Yeah. So they like it to be 100 years plus. Yeah. But in actual fact, you can get a mortgage on a property with a much lower lease than that. Right. So Dave, in this episode, we are focusing on property management. But can you just explain what exactly that is and why somebody may need that? Yeah, sure. So property management is basically where you instruct an agent, a letting agent, to look after your property for you. So... You might be abroad, as an example. A lot of landlords that live abroad use property managers, and therefore you're not going to be able to be as hands-on as you want. Mm. So you need a local expert to look after the property for you. So that would include things like finding the tenants, moving the tenants in, conducting the inventories, all the things that you need to ensure that you've got a compliant tenancy. The agent deals with all of that for you. But then after that, the agent still looks after the property and the tenancy. Right. So any maintenance, if there's a leaking tap, if there's a washing machine that's broken, the agent is the one that's contacted, mm. not the landlord. The agent will also look after the renewals of the tenancy, any rent increases. So effectively, it's a long-term view of someone looking after the investment for you mm. without you having to be involved in a day-to-day -day basis. I would love to know what you would say are some common misunderstandings that landlords might have about property management. For me... A property management is there for a landlord that doesn't want to be involved. Right. If you want to buy an investment and turn your back on it and you've got a really good managing agent, you should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You'll be consulted every now and again about certain costs. If something breaks and needs a repair, you might be consulted about that. But you're not going to be involved in the everyday dealings of, you know, a tenant calling saying my heating's not working or mm -hmm. my washing machine's broken or whatever it may be. One of the most common misconceptions of management is that actually you have to be involved in a day-to-day -day basis as a landlord, even though you've got an agent. It's not the case. It's not what that service is there for. So I think a lot of landlords feel like they could be very hands-off, but actually they need to be hands-on. And maybe that comes down to the quality of the service in our industry in mm -hmm. some instances. Because I do know a lot of landlords that say, actually, I've paid an agent to manage my property, but I've been really involved. I get calls from there every day. Right. It's not what you want. Yeah. You want someone that's just going to deal with it and then consult with you or just tell you what the outcome is. And also, if you're looking after my property... I want to know that you're going to make sure that it's tenanted. 
I don't want my property like void and mm-hmm. no one in there. And I think that you definitely can make that happen, right? Yeah. Landlords talk about them constantly. They don't want voids. They want as little time with no tenant and no income as possible. And if you're a professional landlord, that's really, really important to you. If you're not a professional landlord and maybe you've become a landlord accidentally somehow, it's probably less important to you, but you still don't want to lose income. But yeah, minimising voids is really, really important. Yeah. As a company, hunters obviously look after management of properties as well. But if you have so many to look after, how can you give such a good service? You've got lots of different technological advances in the last few years that really help us do that. So even coming down to the accounting system, we've got automated accounting where rents come in automatically, costs will be deducted for contractors, the contractor gets paid, the landlord then gets paid their balance, they get a statement at the end of every month. Mm-hmm. Previously, we had to do all of that manually. Right. If you've got 100 mm-hmm. properties where you need to pay your rents out every month, you've yeah. got to sit there for a good few hours behind the computer and manually transfer funds. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's late contractors, nights. Uh, <laughs> a lot of late nights. <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> um, but now we've got technology that automates all of that for us. We just mm-hmm. need to key it all into the system. The same with maintenance. Maintenance, sometimes we would get calls from tenants, how do you change a light bulb? You know, my heating's not working. Have you right. checked that your boiler's actually on? Do you know how to mm. turn it on? Really, really simple things. So we've got technology now that tenant can say, I've got this particular problem, and you'll get a troubleshooting process. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they can't solve the problem, then they come through to us. Right, okay, yeah. And either one of us can talk them through it, or we can send the contractor out to solve the problem if it's too big for us to deal with over the phone. So that's good because you're extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Things run smoothly. And you now have extra time to make yourself look so pristine. (laughs) (laughs) Or concentrate on his customers. I'm I'm looking at this guy. He always looks super sharp. When I'm with Dave, I don't know if you can see this guy. When I'm with Dave, I always think, wow, I should have dressed up. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when I saw him today. I was like, you look dapper today. Do you know why? Why? The automated system. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. (laughs) Um, So you work as well, well, hunters, I should say, work as well with third parties right, to make sure that the deposits that tenants are giving to landlords are protected. And obviously that is protected for the tenants as well. Is yeah. that correct? So yeah. talk me through a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, well, a lot of them are actually government funded and government run. So now you have to lodge a deposit you've taken from a tenant within an approved scheme. That's law. You can only take a maximum of a five-week deposit. I'll come on to that in a minute. There's, okay. there's a system where you can actually get greater coverage and you don't need to lodge the deposit. Right. So some of the third parties that we use to do that, there are only a handful of them, but they're not the ones really where process is improved. That's just a, a matter of process to make sure that you're meeting legislative criteria. Deposit replacement products are great because whilst you can only take a five-week deposit if it's a cash deposit, Some of the deposit replacement products will cover you for several weeks. One of the ones that we use is about 10 weeks coverage. Okay. So what that means is cash for deposit versus a deposit replacement product. If the tenant leaves, let's just say you had a bad tenant, which would be unfortunate, and you had a couple of doors that needed replacing, and actually the cost of replacing those doors was in excess of your five-week deposit, well, you'd be left with a hole in your pocket. Yeah. Whereas a deposit replacement product, if it covers you for up to 10 weeks... Actually, you've probably got more than enough money. You're much safer now because you've got double the amount of coverage to be able to cover the cost of damages, sometimes even rent arrears. Right, okay, yeah. And there's no requirement to register or lodge deposit replacement alternative with a government scheme. It's a separate insurance that you can take out that protects you. So you get rid of some of that red tape. Right, yeah, yeah. Do you do that with all the properties that you let? It's an option. It's an option. It's an option. So where a landlord chooses... 
to take out that product and the tenant agrees, we will. And what percentage choose it, take it up? I would say probably about 50%. Oh, I really? Mean, it's, it's quite new in our industry. Okay. A few years, but yeah. still relatively new. So not everyone is aware of it. So it's a matter of education. Okay, okay. So we know that landlords obviously want good tenants. It's important for them that they find trustworthy, honest tenants that are going to keep the house clean, pristine, looking as dapper and as sharp as you are, Dave. But what should landlords be looking for when they are trying to find a good, trustworthy, maybe local agent to manage their property? So I think it all comes down to the processes within the estate agency. So some of the things we've talked about, having automated systems, means that you don't have to spend all of your time as an agent behind the desk doing manual transfers. It means that you can spend more time focusing on looking after the property and creating more efficiencies in the business. Yeah. So I think it's important for any landlord to know what the internal processes are like. Mm. We come also back to qualifications, the National Association of Estate Agents, and Property Mark, a number of other organisations provide qualifications for letting agents both on the sales side and the letting side. If you see any agent that's got a qualification and it gives them credence, you want to be talking to that agent because yeah. it's mm. a choice. Yeah. The agents don't have to do that. But if someone has chosen to do that, that speaks volumes about the quality of the people that you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm. And just have a good chat with them about their experiences, how they deal with things, yeah. how they manage tenants. I think how... what's really, really important, and I know that you have this quality and it's knowing the local area mm. knowing parts of where your the agent is based mm. so that if anybody comes in there you are fully aware of what's available fully aware of the cost of properties fully aware of rent prices as well as sale prices so that when you speak to them and you give them that information they can make an informed decision based on your knowledge and i think that's really important yeah, I agree with that. If you read through a lot of adverts from estate agents, whether it be lettings or sales, sometimes that's really plain yeah. paragraph, maybe. It doesn't give you much detail at all. So someone coming outside of area who doesn't know about the transport links, doesn't know about local recreation, doesn't know about the schools, all that sort of information might be really important and it might be information they'll use to make a decision. Yeah. So we as estate agents need to know our local area. Yeah. And we need to be able to be experts to tell people about all the benefits of living locally in that area. Yeah. And that's what's going to sell a place, isn't it, as well, for someone, whether they want to buy or rent there, your knowledge of the area, what's around, what they can get from it, that's what's going to help someone make that decision. And it's a big decision, especially if you're buying somewhere. Absolutely. It's a lot of money somewhere. You're going to be spending a lot of time, so it's got to be done right. Yeah. Although we're all salespeople in our industry, I don't take the approach that I can actually sell a property to someone. Mm. I would rather offer information that's relevant to that individual mm. to see if it fits their criteria, meets their needs. If so, they're likely to make a purchase. Yeah. They're likely to either make an offer to buy or make an offer to rent. Mm. It's in that way you're selling a home, not a house. Well said, Charlotte. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Boom. <Ba> <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's all the nice stuff. But have you heard of any real horror stories where landlords probably should have taken out rent protection or some sort of management scheme to look after their property and it's all gone horribly wrong? Yeah. Oh, no. There's been many of them. And actually, you're spot on. If they'd taken a protection product, they wouldn't have suffered mm. the losses. Yeah. And actually, it's very cost effective to do it. The example I'll give you is a tenant that chose not to pay rent. Mm. That went on for several months. And the eviction process is a very lengthy process. It's costly and it's lengthy. Yeah. So let's just imagine there's a rent of £1,000 a month being paid and that tenant's chosen not to pay the rent. Well, if it's seven or eight months it's going to take to evict the tenant, you're already seven to eight thousand pounds down yeah. in rent. You've not been able to pay your cost. If you're relying on that money to come in to pay your mortgage, you're not been able to pay it. On top of that, you've got legal fees 
mm-hmm. to evict the tenant. You might have solicitor's fees, you might have court fees. It's another few thousand pounds. So you're 10,000 pounds down within less than a year. Yeah. All you needed to pay was a few hundred pounds mm-hmm. to take out a rent protection product. That rent protection product would have kicked in and started paying your rent for you every month whilst evicting the tenant. And then it would hand you back your property in a legal capacity ready for you to rent again. So any like refurbishment work that needed to be done, that rent protection would also cover that? There's a portion of it that may cover it depending on the product. Okay. But remember, you've also got their deposit. Yeah, yeah. So you could take their deposit and you can use that to refurbish And you've also property. saved yourself £8,000 in the process. Minimum. Yeah. <laughs> from loss of rent. And the stress. Yeah. Exactly. So the horror story here is I've known landlords be repossessed because they've not been able to pay their mortgage because where the tenant, tenant hasn't paid. Oh, no. And these are not professional landlords that do it for a living. Mm-hmm. They've got day jobs. They're relying on the rental income to cover their cost. Accidental landlords, let's say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they've lost a property on the back of a tenant not paying their rent. And if they pay just a few hundred pounds, they could have been saved. I remember that I had a flat in Surrey. Yeah. And you advised me, Dave. You said, yep, your tenants seem great. They're verified. Mm-hmm. But get rent protection just in case and just i did case. and you know what i slept very well <laughs> every night knowing that i had rent protection yeah. now it wasn't needed they were great tenants Thank don't get goodness. me wrong however just knowing that mm-hmm. that made me feel comfortable yeah very comfortable peace of mind it is peace of mind peace of mind and i think that for me it's a no-brainer really And I guess as well, we are in a cost of living crisis. And I'm sure a lot of these tenants that aren't paying aren't doing it out of spite. It's probably that they genuinely are going through hard times. But if you were to pay, what is it, a percentage per month? Is that how it works out? You can either pay a percentage per month and it's only a couple percent in that instance or literally four or five hundred pounds, depending on the value of your rents. Right. For a year's policy. Okay. So it's less, it's probably 25, 30% of one month's rent yeah. in yeah. most instances, and you've got a year's worth of cover. That makes so much sense, doesn't it? And like you say, Stuart, you slept well. Listen. You sleep well anyway, anyone's so I can watching imagine this, how well you were sleeping. And you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, and you want to become a landlord <laughs> and rent out a property, get rent protection. Do it. It's simple. a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Do you know we still got landlords that choose not to take it because they want to try and save a few pounds? Yeah. doesn't make any sense, does no. it? No. I think just like any insurance, it's only of value to you when you need to make the claim, right? Yeah. Unless and I'm just it. thinking now, I've got a tenant in one of my places and I don't have rent protection. So once we finish this podcast, I might need to have a little chat with you, please, Dave. Yeah, we'll have to have a <laughs> conversation in private your, about that. I need to slap you on your backside. I need to speak I can't say to what you. I need to say to you live. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, no, right. no expletives allowed. I need hunters to manage the property because you're right, I don't want to have to manage it anymore myself and I need the rent protection from you guys, please. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also the alternative deposit that you're speaking about, this 10-week thing. Can you explain that to me again a little bit more? Because I feel like I need to take notes and also apply for that as well. (laughs) I I need everything that you're offering me. So the the way that works is the tenant normally pays the deposit. In this instance, they are buying the insurance instead of the deposit. And you might say, what's the benefit to the tenant? It's a lot cheaper for them to buy this insurance than pay a deposit. So it makes it more affordable for them to move into the property. Mm-hmm. That's the benefit for the tenant. So remember, we always take a balance of you. Yeah. The benefit for the tenant is cheaper to be able to move in. The benefit for the landlord is 10 weeks worth of cover versus five weeks deposit cover. Mm. So what would happen in that instance? The provider, at the end of the tenancy, if you do a checkout, there's damages. 
you would approach the provider and say, this is the checkout report, these are the damages we've identified, these are the quotes that we've received to correct all of it. And you submit it to the provider and they then turn around and say, okay, we accept that, we're going to pay you out based on the quotations you've received and we'll now pursue the tenant. So some people might say, actually, the tenant's paying much less money to move in, they're more likely to cause damage. No. The tenant is still going to be pursued if yeah. the insurance needs to pay out. Mm. And it's not going to be a landlord pursuing them, it's an insurance company. Yeah. No tenant wants to be pursued by an insurance company. No. So you make that very plain from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So the benefit to the tenant is cheaper to move in. Benefit to the landlord is much more money in terms of the coverage that you mm -hmm. get and a much easier process. How, how long has this been like going on for? Because when I've previously been involved in any rental property, it's always a month and a half deposit you put down. So this 10-week scheme, how long has it been running? I know, because I wish I knew about this. Yeah, I, I didn't. Before again, quite some years. I think yeah. I've always thought that I knew everything about property. Clearly, I don't. <laughs> it's not common knowledge, right? Right. So when you speak to an agent, a lot of agents have access to providers like this, but they choose not to. Mm. They choose not to provide it. Why? I couldn't answer that question because to me, it's just a no-brainer. It's benefits yeah. to everyone all round. Yeah. Maybe some agents, the way they trade, they're stuck in their ways. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. But this is again, it comes back to the use of keeping up with current technology, mm -hmm. keeping up with new offerings in the market. We're always going to be at the forefront because of the size of the organization. Some of these large companies want to work with us because we're a huge organization across the country. Yeah. So maybe we benefit from that, whereas some others may not. It always seems like you're looking to find innovative ways to excel and shine amongst what we know a lot of estate agents. So these little things that hunters do, like when you add them all together, it becomes a big difference. Yeah. And, and I think that's Definitely. why you stand out. You raise a good point, um, Scarlett, that tenants sometimes fall upon hard times. It's not that they don't want to pay your rent, it's they actually can't afford to do it. Mm -hmm. So we're not just talking about bad tenants, we're talking about all tenants. Yeah. So from a landlord's perspective, just because you think you've got a really good tenant doesn't mean that things can't change. Mm. When you do your tenant references, it's a bit like taking your car to get an MOT. The, the moment you drive it off the forecourt, if something goes wrong with it, well, it was fine when the MOT was done. Mm. As it's been driven off the forecourt, something's gone wrong. Yeah. It's the same thing with your tenant reference. It's a snapshot of them at that time. Yeah. But two weeks later, they could be made redundant. Mm -hmm. They could become ill, unable to work. If you don't have rent protection in place as a landlord and that tenant can't move out of your property, you're going to suffer. Yeah. Mm. Okay, then, so... I'm a landlord. Scarlett is going to be somebody who wants to rent a property. What would be the one best advice you give to me as a landlord? And what would be the one best piece of advice that you give to Scarlett as someone who's looking to rent? The two things we've talked about, the deposit replacement and the rent protection, for the landlord, no-brainer. Right. Okay. You don't think about anything else because that gives you so much peace of mind, okay. along with the tenant profile and the referencing, making sure they've got credit history that's clean, etc. Those things in combination are going to keep you safe. Right, okay. From the tenant's perspective, you just need to be mindful of the condition of the property. Mm -hmm. We've had lots of tenants, they move in, and when they leave, even cleaning, simple little things like that, cleaning an oven or cleaning the carpets, it's always cleaning issues that we get. And when we come to comparing the checkout to the check-in and we have to get a professional cleaner in to come and clean an oven. There's a big cost involved in that and the mm. tenant probably wasn't prepared for that because they thought they did a good enough job. Please check your inventory and make sure that you leave the property in as close a state as possible because mm. that's going to save you a yeah. lot of frustration. We actually, I'm glad end. you said that. When I first moved to the South Coast, I was trying to find a house 
for the family. So I was renting a flat whilst I was looking. It was only a short-term let. It was for eight months. Lovely flat right by the beach, beautiful. But there was damp in the mm. flat. And what we then realised is it wasn't us. We opened windows. There was an issue with the building. And it was an external wall that there were cracks and it was causing damp. Anyway, cut a long story short, when I left the property, I found a house, great. The landlord said that it was our fault because we didn't report it to the state that it was. So we were like, no, no, we did report it. And then we actually had to speak to the rest of the owners of the flats in that block to then go through the minutes to wow. find out that in the previous annual meeting, the annual meeting of the residents, yeah. it was brought up then that this needs to be rectified and they were going to come together. The landlord was going to get quotes for the work and didn't, didn't want to pay any of the money. So what happened was that because I then found that out, I realised the landlord was trying to put those costs onto me and blame me, which I was having none of it. My rent deposit was protected. And what happened, it had to go to an independent internal tribunal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had to, and it was so frustrating the amount of paperwork I had to do, yeah. the amount of pictures that I had to take, the amount of statements from the other owners, just to make sure that I could get my money back. And in the end, I didn't get it all back. I think it was £750. Wow. Um, I paid out £250, of which I didn't want to, <laughs> but it was still £500 less than what I would have given. However, that left a really bitter taste in my mouth because it was someone's word against mine. I knew full well that I was not responsible, but it was, I had to prove that. Yeah. And it was me trying to prove my innocence when I was clearly innocent rather than them trying to prove my guilt. Yeah. You know? Mm. And, I, yeah. and I wasn't happy with that. So was that due to a lack of an inventory when you moved in? <laughs> no. Or lack of a detailed inventory? Lack of a detailed inventory. Mm. And then what I think they'd done, I think they had just whitewashed the walls. Yeah. And it was behind a cupboard and yeah. a, a curtain. Yeah. So it wasn't until we saw the damp. But it wasn't until we had to move the, it was a big, massive built-in wardrobe. And we're like, where's it coming from? And we somehow managed to move it. And then we saw damn everywhere behind it. Right. And I was like, right, they know what they're doing. But I think that they've done this on numerous occasions. That's also dangerous to your health. Exactly, well. yeah. exactly. But it just goes to show that you can be the best tenant. Mm. But if your landlord is slippery and shady. Yeah. It's just as bad as you being a great landlord yeah. and your tenant being a bad tenant. Yeah. Because it goes both ways, right? It definitely does. So my point back to checking the inventory, make yeah. sure it's detailed. Uh, we've seen so many inventories that landlords have done themselves where they've just literally put a pen to paper. They've not backed up with photographs. They've not backed up with detailed descriptions. That's just going to get dismissed. Mm. It's yeah. not strong enough. And do you offer that service, yeah. hunters? Yeah. As standard, we'd say all landlords should have that done. Absolutely. It's for the benefit of the tenant and the landlord, yeah. for both. So to stop a landlord from making an unjust claim against the tenant, you can compare the original inventory with the checkout. Mm. And if there was a hole in the door when the tenant moved in and the landlord's trying to claim money because you've created this hole, actually, mm. sorry, Mr. And Mrs. Landlord, it was there when I moved in and yeah. here's the evidence. Yeah. And you do that regularly, like every month? Yeah. or uh, The inventory is done at the very beginning when the tenant moves in and the checkout is done when the tenant moves out. Right. In between, 
you have routine inspections. Yeah. Three or six monthly, you mm. just go and do a visual inspection it's to make sure. Do you do do you do spot checks or do you let the, the tenant know you're coming? No, we let them know. Oh, we do have you have an really? obligation to let the tenants oh, okay. know. You're so yeah. deep. No, I would do spot <laughs> checks. Stuart, come on. No, seriously. Like if you're in my house, <laughs> ding, ding. when I knock at the door, the house better be clean. <laughs> be careful. There's something called quiet enjoyment, and the tenant is entitled to it. It's a legal term, right? <laughs> okay, so for me then, as a landlord, so I do have inventories uh, I have all those which is fantastic didn't do this 10 week deposit, deposit replacement, replacement yeah. which I'm now kicking myself about I'm guessing I can't go back and do that now because I'm kind of like two years into you can't my... for the deposit but you can for your rent protection that's potentially. what I was going to ask so potentially I could still even though I'm a couple of years into my tenant being in my property try and do rent protection but when did the tenancy agreement end? it's a three year one and then we'll go again. So you've got a year so to go. Got another year. A year to go. Yes. So you can get protection for at least the remaining year. And that is and a possibility. And then for any extensions beyond that. And that's something I can speak to you about. You can Fantastic. Thanks, David. Well, you know, and, and that's why <laughs> I like to buy and sell. I don't like to keep a portfolio of properties. Where Scarlett like to keep a portfolio and rent. But I just think that with all the legislation and the government changes where you can't even offset your like, rental properties now. Mm. It's like, why are you losing a lot of landlords because of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah there are all a lot the, of changes. Yeah, a lot of the um, the tax changes and the different regulations being introduced, a lot of landlords have just decided they've had enough mm. and they're exiting. They're does selling. it affect your business? Yeah, because it means that there's less landlord business for us to gain. Mm -hmm. So it does have an impact on us, but there's still enough to go around, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But we will see a change. It'll become less desirable to be a landlord Yeah. because there's just so much legislation and compliance. And financially, it doesn't make sense unless you're set up with the correct vehicles, tax vehicles, et cetera, to do that. Yeah. I think there'll be only a very niche market for landlords, mm. yeah. a certain type of person. And do you guys then look after service departments? So these are properties that are on, say, Airbnb, bookings.com, short-let properties, basically, that I know a lot more landlords are turning to rather than buy-to-lets are looking at doing service accommodation, service departments. Is that something that you offer in terms of management product? It's not our core service offering. Right. Um, because actually a lot of people, they like to deal with that themselves. Mm -hmm. And there are companies out there that do offer the service, but it's fairly new. Mm. we rather stick to what we know really well and been doing for years really well and we're known for. Yeah. So it's, we can offer it and sometimes we do, but it's not... It's not. to stick to what it is that you're good at. Yeah, it's, what's more active it's not our the, lane. What's more active at the moment, sales or lettings? Lettings. It's more oh, active, really. Yeah. Yeah. The lettings market's gone absolutely wild. Mm. We can't build enough stock for all the tenant demand that's out there. At really? The and rents have really gone up because of it. Mm. So okay. the supply and demand balance is imbalanced. So there maybe is an idea to start buying some rental properties. Mm, hello. <laughs> it's just... I've been telling you. It's just hard work. It is hard work, but you know, I don't mind it. And if you've got rent protection, if you've got the deposit replacement... Oh, oh you're talking about now. management... You don't have that. You know, well, I'm, I'm going to be speaking to Dave after this, and I'm going to get some more, yeah. and, and we're going to work together on that, thanks, Dave. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> that's what I think anyway. And it's great to know that hunters do offer products for both sides. And both sides will then feel safe, comforted and sleeping well in the knowledge that either their money is protected, the property is protected. That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's trying to absolutely. make this journey as smooth as possible where everybody's safe. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. As much peace of mind as possible. Mm. So when we come to sales, what advice would you give A, homeowners with regards to the interest rates that are currently rising and B, those who are looking to buy their home? 
Like, what advice would you give them when it comes to buying in, in this climate at the moment? So that's an interesting question because I think what we've seen is such a dramatic rise in interest rates, such a swift change that it's taken people a while to accept that change. But of recent, and I think this is very recent, probably within the last two months, I would say, we've seen more buyers entering, re-entering the market. Maybe that's because it's become the norm now. Yeah. Interest rates being slightly higher than we're used to has become the norm and people are now confident enough to take the leap right. and actually proceed with the purchase. So I think, again, I said it earlier, do the maths. Mm. Any buyer out there, do the maths. Speak to a mortgage advisor, speak to your bank. Do that before you do anything else. Yeah. Understand what your buying power is. Once you've done that, now you can get into the nitty gritty about where you want to buy, what criteria you're going to have in your little checkbox, your checklist. Yeah. So, yeah, do the maths. And the maths is... How much are you buying for? How much would be your monthly repayments, whether that's an interest only or repayment mortgage? How much would the rent be? How much profit are you making? How much do you have to pay tax? And what are you left with by the end of it? Yeah, and also, what's it going to cost you every month? Yes. That's the main one. Yeah. Can you afford it? Mm. Affordability. We always affordability. talk about that, don't know. I yeah. think yeah. in every episode we've mentioned affordability because that is key. So crucial. Yeah. yeah. For a renter, a buyer, a seller, it's top notch it needs to be right up there at the top of the tick list yeah absolutely and for sellers in this market it's the same advice really a lot of people have expectations of my property once was worth x Mm. amount and when the value drops they can't quite get their head around the fact that it's not worth that anymore so you get a lot of people that have unrealistic expectations so for sellers my best advice for those people that are thinking about selling is be realistic do some research yourself, invite some local agents in to give you a valuation, but be realistic mm. because that's when your property will sell. Yeah, You don't want your property sitting on the market for several months not selling because then it becomes a problem to yeah. sell. Yeah, correct. And maybe do a bit of dressing of the property. Always. Make it look nice, yeah. declutter. We always say this, don't we? A yeah. fresh lick of paint, some new cushions, add a bit of colour, just something yeah. to zhuzh it up a little bit. Inexpensive changes that will make all the difference in your sale. So there's something called the three Ps that we refer to in property. Pricing, it's part of your strategy. Make sure you get that right. Promotion, so where it's advertised, so the likes of the big websites and uh, the big estate agent websites and social media, et cetera. And then presentation. Yeah. Mm. So presentation, although it sounds cliche, a vase of flowers, bowl of fruit in the right place, a little yeah. splash of colour, yeah. does make all the difference. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned there it's all about promotion. So how do you guys at Hunters promote your properties, whether they are for sale or to rent out? Pretty much all our properties, sales or lettings, get the same level of promotion. We think they're just as important. So you'll get the big websites like Right Move and Zoopla and Prime Location. They come as standard. We advertise on all of those. And if there's any new entrants, we'll try to get on listing on their website as well. But social media is a big player nowadays. Mm-hmm. The last statistic I read about this was that an active buyer probably spends less than 10 minutes a day looking on the likes of Right Move and Zoopla but seven to eight hours a day on social media platforms, including the likes of Google and searching Google, et cetera. So if you're not seen in those places, if your property advert is not seen amongst all the social platforms, then you're missing out on a big chunk of the market. Mm. So there must be a strategy in place for social media advertising. Yeah, it's key, isn't it? Yeah. So many properties are being sold via TikTok now and Instagram. Yeah. It's a changing world. Absolutely. And we're not talking just about posting Mm. on your accounts we're talking about actually finding buyers there's so much technology out there that allows you to identify groups of people that you can put these adverts in front of so we know who the active buyers are Mm because we're following them Mm -hmm. so we'll put the relevant adverts in front of them they might go onto a completely unrelated website 
but your property advert will be up there in front of them. Yeah. Because we know that's what they're looking yeah. for. Mm. Lots of clever tech out there. I actually think that's extremely clever. I know. Because you are, like I said before, you're trying to utilise avenues that other agents won't. And you know full well that the world that we're living in at the moment, it's heavily based on social media. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot. My children, as much as I hate to say it, mm. when they're on their phones, they're scrolling through social media. Mm -hmm. Me. Yeah. Hours, social media. And I definitely believe that there is a market out there that you can target through social media alone, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Completely agree. Right, so this is my favourite part of the podcast. This is the best and worst. What has been the best bit of advice you've ever been given as an estate agent? That I've ever been given as an estate agent? Don't be an estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> and he ignored it. <laughs> and now he's loving it. Look, look at him. That's an interesting Beaming. question. The best advice I've ever been given as an estate agent. Probably when I first started in the industry, the person who was my mentor said to me, you need to make sure that your priority is always with your client. Oh, okay. Nice. okay. So always look after the client. Worst piece of advice? Actually, I don't know the worst piece of advice, no. I want to know the worst thing that you've done <laughs> that you look back and think, <laughs> well, why I'll tell you about I the worst experience I've had. Oh, okay, okay go, go on, on. Then. that I'll would be. That. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a fairly squeamish type of guy, so we were selling this very large 4,000 square foot house, mm. beautiful old Edwardian building. Been there quite a few times to do viewings with different buyers, etc. So I'm very familiar with it. But on this one occasion, something wasn't quite right. Oh. I approached the front door and I wasn't sure what it was at that point. But when I opened the door, it was like almost like a wall of a smell just came straight oh. towards me. You can see where I'm going with yeah, this maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So what do I do at this point? Run. <laughs> Bear in mind, this is an empty house, 4,000 square foot. It's dark in there as well, right? Because right. all the curtains are closed and just picture the scene. Yeah. Okay. Like a dark house, big dark house. So I open the door. This smell hits me in the face. And I'm, why I was so brave to walk in, I don't know, but I did it. So I walked in and immediately to my right-hand side, I know this room. There's a reception room to my right hand side. Please don't I, tell me there's a dead body in there. Wait, well, let's, oh my let's God. Just tell the story. No, I know, but you know, I like to rush ahead. Okay, sorry. Okay, carry on. So, so the door's a... always closed. Yes. And I always, as part of my process, yep. I've got for every property that I go into, I know what I'm going to do. I'll go in and I'll open up the doors, I'll open the curtains. I've got a, a process for every property. So I pushed this door and it wouldn't move. Oh my gosh. So I then had to shove it with my shoulder. So I felt some resistance behind the door and it's in a dark room. Okay, so there's no, really good music there's no light. Part. There's no light in this room at this, mm -hmm. at this point. And the hallway that I'm standing in is pretty dark as oh well. My God. See, so I'm, I'm not there. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone. Like, from the time I open the door and it stinks <laughs> and it's dark and the curtains are hey, closed. I'd be like, Dave, I'd be like, come on, I need to know what's happening. Why? I want to explore. I can't explain to this day why I did that, but I did it and I carried on. So I shoved the door open enough to be able to get my head Oh, just around Lord. the corner. Okay, this is a lot. Nowadays. But remember, this is a dark room, so I'm looking into darkness. Darkness. Black. It's just black. So I had to wait a few seconds for my eyes to adjust. The, 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 the smell's really pungent there, right? So I looked down because I know something's stopping the door from opening, and there is a head looking back up. No, there. there's not, Dave! It's a fox. Oh. So it's a dead fox. Oh, okay. It's a dead fox. Oh, gosh, okay. okay. So but that's not where it ends. Oh, gosh. So there's a basement in this place as no, well. Now, see? Okay. I wasn't prepared for this story so today. That, no, I wasn't. <laughs> so that smell that I was uh, welcomed by mm. 
it was getting worse further down the oh, corridor. No. So it couldn't have been coming from that room that I've just gone in, despite the fact there was a dead fox yeah. in there. Right. This is, I think, the point where I would have run out now. Yeah. Yeah, I should have. But you kept going. I, I kept going. Mm -hmm. So I opened the door to the basement. I'm thinking like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> like someone's downstairs and like, you don't want to be. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm being very brave. And anyone that knows me. No, it's stupid. <laughs> it's not brave. It's not. I've never once called you Brave clever. Dave. I've never once called him Brave Dave. Never. That's his new name now, Brave Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so I switched the light on. And it's one of those lights that don't come on immediately. Oh, it flickers. It flickers a little bit. This is like scary and movie stuff. It really and, it, is. and it warms up. So it gradually gets brighter. <laughs> so it's fairly dim and mm -hmm. flickering to begin with. So I'm walking down the stairs into the basement. And this basement is. The guy used to use it as a workshop. So it's got a few different areas. It's quite large, but it's your typical sort of smelly basement yeah, right. yeah. with maybe like a workbench in there. So I walk into one room and everything seems okay there, but there's still a smell. This smell is what's got me. I'm intrigued. Disgusting oh. as it is, I'm intrigued. So I walk into the second room and in the distance, there's something on the floor and it looks like a pool, but it looks like it's moving. Oh, my gosh. So again, why I did it, I don't know. But I approach and I get closer. And I realise when I'm only about a foot away from it, it's a load of maggots. Oh, no. And a carcass. <gasps> I think it was another fox that got in and become decomposed. <gasps> and it was just a load of, turned into a liquid and a load of maggots. That is disgusting. That's where the smell was. That is disgusting. I'm super, super squeamish. Nah. Seeing that. That memory's going to stick. Yeah. So then how did you deal with clearing all that out and getting the property ready to sell? I didn't clear it up. But I tell you what. Dave it, had to get it ready to sell. Get the cleaners round. Well, I'll tell you what I did. you got to get it like... Um, I had to deal with it. Effective, I had, right? I had to deal with it. it. I had yeah, to deal with it. So the owner is abroad. Oh. He's not even so in the country. this is a property that he was renting out? No, it was empty and it's being sold. So he was living there oh. and was moving abroad and he'd already moved abroad whilst the property was still being sold. So we were doing viewings on it whilst it was vacant. And empty. So these two foxes must have somehow got yeah, in got via in. the basement. Okay. I think there was a little metal grate that they got into and they couldn't find couldn't their way out. back out yeah. again. Oh. So unfortunately, they probably starved to death. Yeah. That one in the reception room somehow managed to get into the room and the door must have closed behind him. Oh. And the one below, I don't know what happened. But um, So what happened, the council were really brilliant in the end. We called them the same day they came out and they yeah. cleaned it all up. Yeah. That for me has surpassed any other best or worst questions we've asked anyone on our podcast. Yeah, well, I don't even know where to uh, yeah. go now. A decomposed fox. I, I feel like we should just get rid of these questions moving forward. I don't think full anyone of, can top those. Full of maggots. That's just a pool of maggots. And it's that pungent smell. Oh, and the flickering of the light. Yeah. Brave Dave. Brave Dave. It's your new name. Yeah, new name. Brave Dave the owner Martin. was so, so grateful. That's a brilliant explanation as to why I love my job. Yeah. yeah. Going the extra mile. I mean, I didn't get my hands dirty, but I had to face it. Yeah, yeah. And I told him what we'd done after right. it had all been cleared up. Okay. And he was extremely, extremely grateful because he, what could he do from abroad? And how long did it take to sell after that? So that was a really long journey for that client. He had a number of fall throughs oh. and a number of agents before we were instructed. So it was actually a two year journey. Oh, wow. So we did sell it quite rapidly after that. Yeah. Mm. Actually, when I was going in to check the property, I was awaiting someone to come and do a viewing. And that particular that buyer is not the one that bought it, but he actually came in and viewed it with, with fox the steps. bodies. Did he, and did, really? Oh. Yeah, and we had a good old chinwag about it. Oh, okay, this as well. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, that property did eventually sell. But two years of trying to sell your property. But it was a big one, you said, right? It's it was a big, a very big, it's a big house, a lovely house, very unique for the location. 
but a two-year journey. And we're not talking two years on the market, two years of failed sales yeah. for one reason or another. Persistence, persistence, persistence. But you were the agent that was able to sell it. We had some challenges there as well. We lost a couple buyers due yeah. to surveys, etc. But we eventually sold it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, but you, you just you have to persist. That's the one thing that I'm glad that you said that is that it's not plain sailing. Absolutely yeah. not. The, the trajectory isn't always upwards. There's definitely hurdles along the way. Yeah. I think if anyone's going into buying a property and expecting that journey to be easy mm. and straightforward. It's not going to be. No. It's a bonus if it is, but don't expect don't it Don't expect it, yeah. Expect there to be some hurdles to jump. Yeah. 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 What's your success rate uh, on sales? So based on the percentage of properties that we list, we probably sell about 85%. That's good. Yeah, that's because very that's, good. That's very high. Very the national fall-through rate is probably more like 30%. So you are, yeah, surpassing that. At the moment, we're doing well. He's so chilled. He's like, yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Because he, because, <laughs> he knows that he's good at his job. Yeah, you're right. Just as simple as that. Simple. He hasn't got to pat himself on the back. No. I'll do that for him. <laughs> he's good at his job. But yep. again, as good friends, as business partners, I'd even go as far as saying they've been a bit of a mentor to me, really, yes. along the way. Because yeah, yeah. whenever I've got a question that I'm unsure of, because nobody knows everything. Absolutely no. not. And, I, and I, that's really important that... We emphasise that. Mm -hmm. Even though we're all property professionals and we believe we're very good at what we do, we don't know everything. Absolutely not. And I have a handful of people that I will turn to when it regards property, which you are always the first person that I'll call. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to have people in your circle, your inner circle that you trust, who are professional, who are experienced and who can give you advice. And I think it's just important that somebody tells you something that you don't want to hear mm -hmm. as well Absolutely. as something that you want to hear. And that's why now I can always go to Dave. Yeah, but reliable. Brave Dave now. Brave Dave now. Yeah, yeah. Brave Dave. <laughs> Brave Dave, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank, Thank you, you for having so me. much. I feel like I've learned so much. Obviously, off Great. air, we're going to be talking about some of these products that you guys have at Hunters to help me, please. And not just for me, obviously, for everybody else that's been listening as well. But if people did want to find out more about you, about the products that Hunters offer, where can they have a look? So you could just search out Hunters online. We're such a big network. And if it's not me that can help you anywhere in the country, there's bound to be a local Hunters that can. Mm. But if you want to look for me, there's only one Dave Ramadan in the country. So just <laughs> well, brave Dave, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> and your base is it Forest Hill, you're based in? Based at Forest Hill. Yeah. So Forest Hill Hunters, you'll find me. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks Thank you, Dave. <laughs>